0: Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. This is episode number 38 of the Lean Blog Podcast from March 10th, 2008. Our guest today is a returning guest. He is Bob Emiliani from the Center for Lean Business Management and most recently the author of the book Practical Lean Leadership. We're going to be talking today about that book. Uh, I definitely encourage you to um, check it out. It's a nice workbook uh, format uh, that that prompts you to think through your own lean leadership behaviors and how that fits into your, your own organization. So it's definitely a unique addition to the lean literature, and I hope you'll take a look at it. As always, thanks for listening. Well, Bob, thanks again for joining us here on the Lean Blog Podcast to talk about your new book, Practical
1: Lean Leadership. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here.
0: Bob, I was wondering if we could first talk uh, about how you discovered and started learning about lean within your career.
1: Sure. Um, my first exposure uh, to lean management was uh, reading uh, Masaki Amai's book, uh, Kaizen, the, the, the Key to Japan's Competitive Success, and that was around 1991. But it uh, wasn't really until 1994 when I uh, left Pratt & Whitney's engineering organization where where I had been the prior seven years and and joined the manufacturing organization in the uh, uh, summer of 1994. I was a business unit manager there, and and, and we were undergoing a lean transformation, and so I participated in many kaizens facilitated by Shenazue Sensei. the Kaizens were just, uh, you know, a fabulous experience, and uh, they ended up laying the seeds for what would later become a, a passion of mine, which is, uh, which was to comprehend uh, lean leadership and and to create uh, practical lean leadership development uh, pathways that, that people could use. One of the things I observed in with the lean transformation we were undergoing was that some managers were much better than others at leading their Part of the organization in ways that were consistent with what changes Sensei were teaching us. Mm-hmm. I basically, uh, you know, had that observation, and I wanted to know why and dig mm-hmm. more into that. Sure.
0: Well, leadership's long been a big challenge in lean management, and you, you focus a lot of your writing and papers and books on the topic. How, how did you get interested or started in that direction?
1: Well, it, it first of all it seems to be the, the you know major critical issue in order to. Um, continue along with what the Shinjutsu Sensei were teaching us. Again, some some leaders were better at it than others. And what the company did to try and, and help this process was um, uh, put people like me around the 1995-96 time frame through you know, state-of-the-art, very expensive leadership development programs that were run by industrial psychologists and and leadership development specialists, and these were on the order of seven or $8,000 per week, so they were an you know, expensive uh, thing to go do. And these were the conventional sort of uh, training with respect to leadership development, which uh, at the time uh, was helpful. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but I also noticed that the, these leadership development programs just didn't have much of an impact on most managers. Um, and and I, in addition to that, I wanted to improve my own leadership skills further down the road, and thought that these methods had some limitations with respect to ease of understanding and practicality, and so forth. Okay. So th- these things motivated me to, to to rethink the problem and to uh, come up to try and come up with something that I thought would work better. Uh, the The things that the Shingitzu sensei were were teaching me on the shop floor uh, in in the 1994 mm-hmm. time frame struck a chord with respect to leadership development and. One of the things I started to see was analogs between lean tools and processes and leadership development. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and these uh, analogs that I had seen was something that I even presented at, at a meeting of Pratt and Whitney's entire operations leadership team in November 1995. So I had a, a you know, great forum to present these ideas. Um, but after that, you know, in 1996, the book Lean Thinking came out and, and the light bulb went off in my head in a really big way and it became clear to me that the, the five principles that Womack and Jones presented in that book uh, could easily be used in the context of lean leadership development. And so, uh, so what I did is I continued to think about these ideas for maybe another year or something like that. And then uh, in 1998, I wrote a couple of papers that illustrated how lean tools and processes and how Womack and Jones's Five Lean Principles could be applied to leadership development. And uh, the papers were titled Continuous Personal Improvement, and uh, the other one was Lean Behaviors. And the Lean Behaviors actually won an award as the best paper for that journal that year. Mm -hmm. Um, It was in those papers that I coined the terms Lean lean Behaviors and Behavioral Waste, and and in which it clearly showed the connection also to the Respect for People principle. Mm
0: -hmm. And then a- after those papers were published, you-, you ended up leaving the corporate world to go study and teach Lean full-time, right?
1: Yep, that's right. I left in the corporate world in 1999 essentially to pursue these ideas further in a university setting because that gives you the opportunity to offer training courses to you know, executives and so forth and also to develop new courses. And I-, I-, I ended up developing a Lean leadership course for MBA students and master's degree students in, in-, in the business school where I was at. Mm-hmm. All of our students were working professionals, so just about everybody. I mean, it was something like 99% of our students worked full-time for a living, and they were typically between the ages of 25 and 45, mostly in their probably 30s on average. And uh, it ended up being a, a great platform to test these new ideas and, and obtain you know, feedback for improvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it led to a, a bunch of brand-new ideas, and, and over time just thousands of improvements to the... Ideas and the materials. The course um, for the master's degree and MBA students were extremely popular, and you know, I always got great reviews from them because it was such an innovative way to look at the uh, leadership mm-hmm. problem general and specifically related to lean. Sure. Uh, so, I, I I think it's worth mentioning. When it, you know, I had some ground rules in my head for what I wanted to create here, based upon that very expensive leadership training that I had gone through some years before, and uh, it it, it had to be, uh, the first one is it had to be simpler than what was currently in use, which was this fairly complex uh, uh, leadership development uh, programs rooted in industrial psychology and and organizational behavior and Mm -hmm. so forth. Second one is it had to be practical and easy to understand. The third one, it had to be fully consistent with lean principles and practices. It couldn't deviate from that at all. Um, fourth one, it had to use the same language, concepts, and tools that are found in lean management. Uh, fifth one, it had to be much less expensive than these traditional mm-hmm. lean development programs. And then finally, it had to have, to have of course, some learn by doing characteristics I mean, you have to take in the ideas, and then practice them on a daily basis, et cetera. Okay. So uh, what emerged was a, a new process for developing uh, lean leaders that was distinct from traditional leadership development and organizational behavior models, and at the same time, it was complementary to them. But what it ends up being, what I create, is much more accessible to greater numbers of managers. So... Um, so I've been doing the face-to-face executive training and, and teaching the Lean Leadership Graduate Course you know, for almost ten years now, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the, the fact is you can only reach a, a fairly small number of executives and mid-level managers that way. So I decided to um, to write a workbook that that covered a subset of the training program mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 the, the grad school leadership course that I could uh, that, that I developed over the years. So it essentially yeah. covers the. Core material in, in nine or ten challenging steps.
0: Yeah, and 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 before we dig into the book a little bit, um, are, are, did you write the book because the workshops and the classes you teach uh, really aren't available to the the general public? They they're really only available to the uh, business school students, or do you offer well, workshops?
1: That, or? Well, the workshops are typically not open enrollment. So mm-hmm. They're they're customized by a particular company, and it usually involves you know a dozen or so executives from the senior management team. And so, yeah, they're not widely uh, available as, uh, you know, an open enrollment type, of course.
0: Okay, but if, if somebody in, in their com- company was interested in that, they could contact you through your website, I assume?
1: Yeah, that's right. Okay.
0: And and what what is that website again for people listening?
1: Theclbm.com, P-H-E-C-L-B-M.com.
0: Okay, Center for Lean Business Management, right.
1: Right. Yep.
0: Okay. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about Practical Lean Leadership and, and the book. I mean, there, there's a lot of books out there. What would you say is different about about this book in particular? How is it going to be helpful for people?
1: Well, what's different about it is is it, it goes well beyond leadership behaviors, and it drills down into leadership beliefs. Mm-hmm. And most leadership trainers and writers stop at the behavior level and don't go further. And, and I made the very same uh, what I'll call a mistake, uh, for a while, and then had a breakthrough in 2003. And what I found is you, you really have to dig deeper because that's where the core issues lie, mm-hmm. which make lean leadership such a challenge for most managers. Um, and so, anyway, how how I do this is by applying lean principles, tools, and processes, and including value stream maps and standardized work, but in totally new context in ways that people haven't seen before. And since... Most managers who are engaged in a lean transformation have at least some familiarity with these things, maybe not a lot, but at least some. It's a relatively simple extension to the world of lean leadership development. So if they're familiar with it in, in the work-related sense, then it's easy to extend it to uh, lean leadership development. Mm-hmm. So it differs dramatically um, from, um, from traditional training, which focuses almost exclusively on soft skills and, and most people find that it's lacking uh, or, or is ambiguous in describing you know, how leaders should apply what they learn to the workplace every day. Mm-hmm. And some, some, some managers, from their perspective, see these uh, soft skills potential as even conflicting with their, their hard skills. Mm. Um, so, so what practical lean leadership does is it breaks down the soft skills, hard skills uh, divide and is much more explicit in its presentation of how executives must think and what they need to do every day in order to uh, deepen their knowledge and, 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 pr- and their knowledge and practice of lean management and, and to reinforce the thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think managers will find it to be very refreshing and a practical, very practical approach that will be a big help in their, in their efforts to become lean leaders. Um, And I think it's also very timely, the timing of this book, because in in some of my other books, I've described uh, uh, how we face a a critical period here, in my view, in which lean management may may soon begin to fade if uh, executives continue to have difficulty becoming lean leaders and, and if they also struggle to practice the respect for people principle. Right,
0: right. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk about that, and sometimes that concept of uh, respect for people can seem really fuzzy, right? I mean, we, we all agree conceptually. Oh, sure, we should have respect for people, but what does that translate then into? How I act and behave, or or even challenging, uh, right? And some that, of those beliefs,
1: right? Yep, and that's this workbook. In fact, all of my books, uh, really, and my efforts, my papers, starting in 1998, and my before that, my thinking on this was uh, all evolving in the direction of the respect for people principle and, and why people don't understand that, why it's so difficult to comprehend and apply. So it's something I've been at working on for a, a long time now, and it's uh, yeah, seems simple to understand uh, the words uh, most people can comprehend, uh, they think, but it's actually much more uh, nuanced and much more detailed.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I liked about the, the book is that workbook format, and it might be hard for Listeners to picture, but you know, with each chapter, there are a lot of questions and, and spaces for you to literally write out and and reflect and, and answer questions about your own work and your own environment and um, your own beliefs. That that's one thing I, I really uh, found to be helpful with the book, the way it was structured that way.
1: Good, good, I'm glad to hear that.
0: One um, one thing I want to ask you about um, some of the, the sections of the book. You you know, we, we often talk about value-added, non-value-added activities in lean in terms of, you know, what's happening in a production process or what are people in a hospital uh, doing. But you, you spent a lot of time talking about value-added and non-value-added um, behaviors and, and beliefs. So I was wondering if you, if you could share some examples of um, some of those management behaviors that you would consider to be wasteful.
1: Sure. Uh, non, non-value-added uh, but necessary leadership behaviors exist simply because people are not perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, these, these types of behaviors are difficult to avoid or, in some cases, just unavoidable. Uh, some examples uh, might be uh, non-work-related conversations, being impatient, aggressive, or confrontational, self-promotion, perhaps over-communicating. Uh, these are, uh, type, what are what are called type one waste in, in lean parlance. Mm-hmm. You know? um, these are difficult for most people to see as, as type one waste. And then, so therefore, it's hard for them to figure out uh, what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Now, you would not want to uh, completely eliminate non-work-related mm-hmm. conversations right. for obvious reasons. But, you know, in some cases, they can be very disruptive or consume valuable time. Right. And I think we've all been in meetings <laughs> with mm-hmm. various people, and we get off on tangents, and, you know, we've got important business... And it's in certain ways disruptive, and it's certainly consuming uh, time and so forth. So, mm-hmm. um, what the book talks about, the workbook is, you know, the leader's main focus should should really be on type two waste, uh, because it's that's much easier to understand that eliminate it Excuse me. Yeah. And 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 as their, their learning progresses about what value added leadership behaviors are, and wasteful leadership behaviors are, that being type two waste then they can begin to comprehend type one ways, excuse me, type one behaviors as mm-hmm. ways to think about, you know, what, if anything, they need to do
0: about it. Yeah. So uh, you talk about non-work-related conversations. I, I guess you're not suggesting or, uh, or I may think of an example that, you know, if, if we were at work and we're talking about the big basketball game tomorrow, that you could, you could look and say, well, the customer doesn't value us talking about basketball. Uh, right. not value-added from a customer perspective. But I guess somebody could rationalize that and say, well, you know, we're we're, we're relating to each other, we're building our working relationship, which then allows yep. us to be more effective in serving the customer's needs. Is that why you might consider it?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Yep. That's absolutely correct. Yep. Okay. It's, it's bonding, it's team building, it, it, it serves other functions. Okay.
0: Um, but may, what's an example of the type of waste that, behavioral waste that really can't be rationalized or or doesn't serve any sort of necessary function?
1: Um, hmm, Let me think about that for a minute. So it's type one uh, waste that doesn't serve any function at all. Well, you know, it really depends upon the context and the setting Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, how people, um, you know, deploy these particular uh, behaviors. And so it's, it's hard to say categorically what that might be. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that I give as an assignment to my students in the leadership course to identify non, uh, the, the type 1 waste the non-value-added but necessary or unavoidable behaviors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they struggle with that because as they start to think about it, they start to see type 1 uh, category behaviors as waste um, I would say maybe negative thoughts, biases, or stereotypes might be particularly
0: mm-hmm. troublesome. Mm-hmm. So so maybe uh, it, it's an exercise for each listener here to sort of try to step back and reflect on that in their own setting or for themselves?
1: Definitely, yep. Yeah.
0: Okay, um, well, one other thing I really liked in the book, uh, and it seemed unique, was the way you define Kaizen. And I was wondering if you could share that and explain some of that with us.
1: Sure. The literal translation of, of Kaizen is change, Kai, for the better, Zen, mm-hmm. but its meaning is in a multilateral context, which, which few people understand. Mm-hmm. What they typically do is they understand Kaizen more narrowly as continuous improvement, and what that does, it can invite uh, some confusion and lead to the misapplication of Kaizen in a unilateral or zero-sum context. The problem with that is that ends up uh, violating the respect for people principle. Mm-hmm. The change must be non-zero sum. In other words, it must be good for all stakeholders. So, for example, uh, in contrast to that, a, a change that is good for the company uh, uh, or its stakeholders but is bad for employees, mm-hmm. buyers, or customers is not Kaizen. Another example is a change that is good for engineering but bad for manufacturing or Sales is, is not Kaizen, you know, and so on. So, mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is, when we make an improvement in one area, we cannot disrupt upstream or downstream processes, which is often what happens in the application of Kaizen when people understand it more narrowly as, a, uh, as continuous improvement in a non—excuse me—in a zero-sum context.
0: Yeah, and 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 that's that that whole multilateral context. That 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 part of the definition is what jumped out to me as something that. Uh, I think you're right. That often gets missed, and, and I guess you, another way of saying that might be that it leads to sub-optimization if, if you're not focused on the the entire system or focused on that on that balance.
1: Yep, that's right. Well, Bob,
0: one other thing I um, particularly liked about the book was the chapter on uh, 50 errors that people should avoid in a lean implementation, and I was wondering if you could tell us about uh, the one error um, confusing what you call real lean versus fake lean. What's the, the difference there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, real lean uh, is the non-zero sum, meaning win-win application, of both lean principles, continuous improvement and respect for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, fake lean, on the other hand, is the zero sum or win-lose application of just the one lean principle, continuous improvement. So fake lean Uh, it it is narrowly focused on the tools of continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. And you may have heard managers uh, with the slogan of flawless execution or something similar to that. Uh, That's a problem because that basically supports uh, fake lean in that it cuts off people's desire to try new things and learn. And, of course, in in lean management, we need people to try new things and learn new things and, and, and be engaged. So we have to be careful, you know, uh, in terms of how we understand uh, the lean principles and how we apply them.
0: Right. It seems like that concept of flawless execution maybe implies that people would be afraid to admit having a problem. Therefore, you know, oh, we're pretending like they were flawless, maybe?
1: Yeah, and also just uh, an unwillingness to experiment and try new things, which is, um, uh, you know, what you do, of course, in Kaizen and in, and in other lean activities as well. Mm-hmm. So it it kind of shuts down people's willingness to experiment and try new things.
0: Well, really good point, and there are a lot of other good points in the book. Again, it is called Practical Lean Leadership. And uh, I want to thank you again, Bob, for joining us here on the podcast. And in closing, I was wondering if you could uh, remind our listeners again how they can uh, find you on the web and find information about uh, yourself and your book and your different course offerings.
1: Sure. The uh, URL is uh, theclbm.com. It's T-H-E-C-L-B-M.com, and uh, and thank you for the opportunity to uh, participate in the podcast.
0: Okay. Well, sure thing. I've enjoyed it. Hopefully, we'll have you back again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org.